have a Bible, let me encourage you to turn to Matthew chapter number 17. Matthew chapter number 17. How many of you have made some sort of New Year's resolution going into 2022? Like nobody. All right, so everybody's absolutely content with who I am. Like, good. I don't need to change, right? Okay. <laughs> well, you, you look, and, and uh, my social media uh, feed is filled with people who are we're trying to share what they're um, going to improve this year, whether it's to, to get in better physical shape, which I certainly need to join that crowd, or, or to, uh, to be more emotionally aware as we have our, our family and friends gatherings and finances, uh, making wise decisions. And no doubt in a crowd like this, there's probably many who are trying to see a greater spirit spiritual walk uh, in their lives uh, this year but for for those who do sit down and make resolutions or even for those who do sit down and think I need to need to look back at my life and try to see what's going to be different in this year most of the time I'm going to guess that what we would call a new resolution really isn't new meaning like for me if I were to tell you yeah I, I really want to lose some weight this year Guess what? That's nothing new. I wanted to do that last year and the year before and the year before that. And, and it reminds me that, you know, it's not like I don't know what to do. It's just that I don't do what I already know that I should be doing. And since I already know it, what's going to change just because the month did? What's going to change just because we have a 2022 instead of 2021 and now well now i'm going to be a completely different person See, I, everything that i want to become in 2022 i could have done in 2021 it reminds me that um if i don't have some sort of a heart change if some desire within me doesn't change i'm not going to make lasting change I might resolve to make short, temporary changes, and we've all seen what's called the yo-yo diet, where people will lose a lot of weight and then put it right back on. Yeah, well, it's because so often, without heart change, we don't actually see lasting change. And, and as our heart changes as Christians, if we want to see spiritual renewal or spiritual change in our life, the one change we need is to love God more. Because ultimately, from Moses all the way to Jesus, the great commandment in the Bible was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. If you love God with all your being, truthfully, everything is going to fall in place. And so our desires as Christians, regardless of what our spiritual, spiritual words might be, our desire as Christians has to be to love God more. But how do you love someone more? You know, if I wanted my body to physically change, I could go to the gym and lift weights. If I want my body to slim down, I can stop eating certain things, exercise more. If I want to be smarter, I could just read books. But when it comes to saying I'm going to love someone, it's not something I can just do. It's something that happens to my heart as I get to know someone and as I am loved by that someone. Which means 
that we, as we want to grow in God's love this year, the two things we need to do is we need to know God greater and experience God's love in a greater way. Because it's, it's the way God changes our hearts. He changes our hearts as he reveals more and more of himself to us. Which means as we enter into 2022, we need more revelations of Jesus, not more resolutions of ourselves. I'm going to, well, what if we replace that with, I'm going to allow God to work in my life this year. I mean, you think of the people in scripture whom God revealed himself to them and saw their hearts experience change. Noah spent decades building a boat when it had never rained. Why? Because God revealed himself to Noah. Abraham left the land and his family to go to a place he had no idea where he was going. Why? Because God revealed himself to him. We look at the prophet Isaiah as we read Isaiah 6. When he saw God high and lifted up, he said he fell to his face and said, woe is me because he truly saw who God was. When Jesus came to this world, his disciples followed, demons ran, ran from him, sinners ran to him. The thief on the cross turned and as he saw who Jesus was, he said, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Even the Roman soldier looking up said, truly, this was the son of God. So we need a heart transformation far more than we need to make another promise and resolution. We, we even see this in our church. This morning, we watched as two ladies, probably five years ago, would have thought, there's no way I would ever do something like that. So why were they willing to stand in a tank of water and, and spend the rest of the church service with wet hair today? <laughs> because God has revealed himself to them in such a way that their hearts were transformed. We're looking at a dear family that has been our youth pastor for nine years. He and, and Emily and their family, they are going to leave the comfort of not just Page County, but the comfort of the United States of America to go across the world and spend their lives with people they don't know in a land they don't know, speaking a language they don't know. Why? Because God has revealed himself to Pastor Micah and their family in such a way that their heart has been transformed to say, we will go where wherever you lead us. They didn't go to Poland because they made a new resolution. They're going to Poland because their heart continues to be transformed as God more and more reveals himself to them. So how do we see more of God? In the book of Jeremiah, and this is in our passage, I just want to show you, but in the book of Jeremiah, God is speaking to his people, people who are in captivity, people who have been carried away from their homes and families, people who are in desperate straits. And this is what God says through the prophet Jeremiah. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. We read these verses, we read this verse often when we, when we want to encourage someone as if it's going to be okay, God has a plan for you. But you do understand the plan for God was for them to be in captivity. That was part of his plan. But he knew what he was going to do for them. And what he was going to do was bring them a great future. 
And this is what he says in verse 12. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. I want to love God more than you've got to see God in a greater way. How do I see God in a greater way? Well, if you seek God with all of your heart, he promises he's not going to hide from us. God doesn't desire to make his will for our lives difficult to find. But it's what does our heart truly seek God or does our heart truly seek what we want for ourselves? Because as we seek him and as we find him, our hearts are transformed as we see him in greater and greater ways. But we're all believers. We all understand that that this cross represents the great work that Jesus did in coming to this world to offer himself as an atoning sacrifice for the sins of the world. We understand that. Why don't we then seek him with all our heart? Because Satan is such a deceiver. And he is at work in amongst every one of our lives. And Satan is trying to tell you, hey, there's something better than Jesus. Hey, look over here. There's someone better than Jesus. Hey, look over here. If you can just attain this amount of money or this type of possession, you will find the happiness you're looking for. And Satan moves our hearts from seeking God with all our heart to seeking things that would, we believe, make us happy. But when we begin to seek God for who he is, And as we begin to see God and he is revealed to us, we find that he is the true treasure that we have always been looking for. But we have often sought around Christ as our true treasure. And therefore, we we have to make a new resolution every year. I want to take you to, to just a simple, it's just a strange story, to be honest with you conversation I say story not not because it's a fable but just a, a strange event in Jesus's life where it's a, just a simple conversation that he has with Peter and the purpose in choosing this is not because there's some great truth or, or, or some depth I want to reveal to you but because I wanted today to be truly a day about Jesus only Jesus and had I been able to choose a song I would have asked Miss Carolyn could we sing before the sermon and at the end of the sermon Jesus only Jesus but I don't ask you because I love to see how God works. And when we sang Jesus, only Jesus, when I walked in the back door this morning and the worship team started practicing that, I just thought, God, you're so good. So if you look in Matthew chapter 17, if you have a Bible, we're gonna read from verse 24 to the end. It's just four verses. And it's probably something you've read, maybe something that, may or may not have heard a message on before. I'm sure that if you've been in church for a while, you probably have, but Matthew chapter 17, verse number 24, the Bible says this. When they came to Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax went up to Peter and said, does your teacher not pay the tax? He said, yes. And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first saying, what do you think, Simon? From whom do kings of the earth take toll or tax? From their sons or from others? And when he said, from others, Jesus said to him, then the sons are free. However, 
not to give offense to them. Go to the sea and cast a hook and take up the first fish that comes up and when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. Four, four simple verses at the end of a chapter and even before it's such, such amazing things. Chapter 17 opens with the transfiguration of Jesus and then Jesus heals a, a boy who, had a, who was demon-possessed and then we come to this simple four verse conversation that he has with peter about taxes and fishing and i'll be honest i know that i've read this before and and not really having any idea how in the world this might apply to me and and actually it's pretty interesting uh the range of applications that some people will make to just a short uh bit of scripture because I, as i study i always try to try to read as much as i can as i study and there were people who use this text to um apply about being a good national citizen about you need to pay your taxes about making sure you tithe to the church because this is a temple tax and about christian liberty for alcohol and tobacco i the range of applications that were given to this was just so strange to me and, and i don't want to criticize any of them but i just find it I, I've really struggled with assuming the purpose that the Holy Spirit moved in the heart of Matthew to write down this conversation was so that we would know to pay taxes or so that we would understand the Christian liberty that we somehow enjoy. And I don't have any new revelations myself or some incredible truth, but I, I, I just, I don't know about you, but when I read the Bible, I don't need one more truth to live by because the truth is I don't know everything, but I know enough and I'm not already living by the things I do know. When I read the scriptures, I, I'm seeking to find the power to live out the truths that I already understand and don't live by. I don't need more self-will. I don't need more truth, more truth for me. I need more power from God and I need more of Jesus. So I want to take these four verses and I want to just say, so I know it seems weird, but let's just talk about how good Jesus is. So let's briefly understand what's going on. If you're familiar with the New Testament, you know that. New Testament Israel was occupied by the Romans. Caesar was basically ruling the world and he had his people in places like King Herod was over Jerusalem and King Herod had Roman soldiers in Jerusalem and there were these tax collectors who were Hebrews, who they were Jews, but they worked for Rome and most of the people hated them because they collected money from their fellow citizens and would often cheat them out of money to pay Rome. But this tax that Jesus is being asked about, or Peter's being asked about, is not that kind of a tax. It is a simple temple tax. It goes all the way back, if, if you care to know, but it goes all the way back to Exodus 30, where every male who's under the age of 20 had to pay a half a shekel a year, and it went towards the upkeep of the temple. And there's all kinds of different commentaries who believe it was still mandatory, some who believed it wasn't mandatory anymore, some who said it was, it was, it was only used for certain sacrifices. It re really doesn't matter. The question is, does Jesus follow this Jewish ritual? Does he pay the temple tax? And so that's the question that's being asked here in verse number 24. They're Jewish tax collectors coming around looking for the temple 
tax. And, and when they asked Peter, Peter immediately says, yes, my, my master, my, my rabbi, he does pay them. And so we don't know if he's defending Jesus's reputation or if he's seen Jesus pay this temple tax, but he turns and he goes in now to the, the house. And what we find is Jesus spoke to him first. Meaning Peter's not coming to tell Jesus about this conversation. Jesus, who was not a part of the conversation, is going to tell Peter about the conversation. So, I mean, I know that we could just immediately go, go right on through and skip over this and talk, talk about the conversation, but we can't miss that right there, what is being revealed to us is the omniscience, all-knowing, and omnipresence being everywhere of Jesus He's telling Peter about a conversation that he was not involved in. You know, when I was growing up, there was this little kid's song and probably, oh, be careful little eyes what you see. Oh, be careful little eyes what you see. For the Father up above is looking down in love. Oh, be careful little eyes what you see. I know after singing that, you're probably thinking, why does Aaron lead worship and not Pastor Brian, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'll be honest as I was studying this message for this this message that song came to my mind oh be careful little eyes what you see for the father up above is looking down in love oh be careful little eyes what you see and for the first time I realized I don't think I understood the message of that song I think I always understood the message of that song as, as be careful little eyes what you see because God's around the corner looking at you and he knows what you're doing. Be careful little hands what you do because God's right behind you and as soon as you do something wrong, he's gonna punish you. Oh, be careful little feet where you go because God's standing at the door as you walk into a place you're not supposed to be going and he's just shaking his head like I cannot believe you. I totally missed it because it was, it was for the father up above is looking down. But I missed those last two words. Looking down in love. Therefore, be careful, little eyes, what you see. How different would we live if we knew the person that loved us most was ever present with us? And I don't mean that I couldn't look at what I want to look at anymore because the person who's with us and just take my wife, if my wife went everywhere with me, now I can't see what I want to see because she's standing there. No, no, it's be, having, having the person that I love most with wants me to, I want to be with her rather than to look at something I shouldn't look at. And God wants us to know I am with you everywhere you go. I'm omniscient, I'm omnipresent, I'm omnipotent, I'm everything and I'm with you in love when our family used to go to the county fair once a year we would we'd go and we would eat elephant ears and we'd have corn dogs and my wife liked the turkey drumsticks and like we, we'd eat and we'd play games and we'd do all kinds of stuff and we when I was thinking back just just a little bit ago when our kids were, were really young you know my children when we went to the county fair they weren't thinking oh dad's got to go with us everywhere we're going 
Well, I mean, they did reach that point. <laughs> they, did, they reached that point. But when they were young, they weren't thinking that. You know why? Because dad was providing for them and caring for them. And if they wanted something to eat, all they had to do was ask this guy because they knew this guy loved them and he would give them often what they wanted. Sometimes he would say no, but he would say no because it was best for them, not because he was just a mean guy most of the time. But as they got older, you know, natural independence takes place. And now it's, we're going to go to the fair. Dad, I'm going to go this way. Okay. We go with my friends. Okay. And guess what? You're going to pay for your own food too. And guess what? You're going to take care of playing games. You want to play games? You play games. You want to stick with me? Sure, I'll, I'll be happy to help you. And I just think how often I do that with God. How often I know that this God loves me and wants to care for me and he's with me everywhere that I go. But my desire is not to fall in love with him. My desire is, hey God, I got this and walk away. And it's in those moments where I have to be reminded, don't be careful little eyes what you see because he can never walk away from God. He's always with you. And he's not, with, he's not standing behind a corner with his arms crossed because he's condemning you because we're reminded in Romans 8, right? There is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. He's not condemning us. Do you know why God gets upset at sin? Not at sinners. Do you know why God gets upset at sin? Because he loves you so much. He knows that sin is going to distract you and it's going to eventually destroy you. And he loves you so much he doesn't want that to happen to his children oh so as we enter into this 2022 well how different would our year be if we went there knowing that a loving father walks with me everywhere that i am going and there's contentment and joy and security and dependence on him and that i don't need to look anywhere else I don't need to go anywhere else other than to the one who's already with me and the one who knows everything that's taking place in my life. Don't we often pray and start off our prayers telling God what's going on as if we need to inform him? I do that. And God doesn't need to be informed of anything. He not only knows what's going on, he knows the answer to our problems. But interestingly enough, in this situation here, as he talks to Peter, he doesn't give Peter an answer. He gives Peter a question. Peter, from whom do kings of the earth take toll or tax? From their sons or from others? The kings of the world, do they tax their own children? No, because the taxes come to the king. So why would the king take from his own child just to pay taxes to himself? He's going to take from himself only to give back to himself. The king taxes his subjects. The king taxes the, the area that he rules and reigns over. He doesn't tax his own children. And when Peter answers that, Jesus said, then the sons are free. Who is the temple prepared for? Why was the temple in Jerusalem standing? I know it had been, been torn down, but there's a new temple in Jerusalem standing. It was all for the worship of God. Who is God's son? Well, we know Jesus is God's son. Why would God's son pay a tax to his 
father. Now the sons are free. And I'm going to come back to Jesus' answer about the sons being free in, in just a moment, but you got to ask yourself a question. Why does Jesus ask Peter a question? If he's the omniscient, all-knowing son of God, why does he ask a question? And Jesus never asks a question because he doesn't know the answer. He's never asking a question to someone because he wants to learn from some, someone. He always asks a question because he's trying to position our hearts to receiving the truth that he is about to give. So many circumstances in our life that we might question and go, why, God, why? Just give it a little bit of time. Because what God is doing so often in our life is he is putting us in a circumstance or putting us in a position where we have nowhere else to look except to turn to his word, to ask in prayer, and to seek the Holy Spirit for guidance. But often we would not be asking those questions if we weren't in the circumstances God allowed us to be in. I have no doubt over the past two years, every single person in this room has asked the question, why? Why, God? Why this or, or why that? In, 20, in these last two years, most have been certainly difficult for so many people. But didn't we hear this morning in the testimony of Julianne that it took the pandemic for her to seek Jesus so I know we're saying that, yeah, there's some bad things that have taken place and things that no one's trying to belittle in any way. But for her, the world being turned upside down meant that she sought a savior who turned her world right side up. And we can rejoice with you, Julianne, in that, in the way that Jamie too. And Jenna, thank you so much for the, for the way that you've walked with them. But God wants to work in our lives and sometimes he puts us in a place where all we can do is turn to him. And so he asks Peter a question, who, who taxes and does your son gets taxed or others? And he says others. And now Jesus is gonna give this answer. Then the sons are free. Okay. Wouldn't that mean then that if he's the son of God and we're talking about it, the temple tax of the temple of God, that Jesus is free? I think very much Jesus is making that statement. But then he goes on and he says to Peter, however, not to give offense to them, go to the sea. Sorry, I totally missed that one. Did I, excuse me. Well, let me see. I've got, I need to find 1727. Hold on one second. Um, I, I skipped it. There we go. However, thank you. However, not to give offense to them, go to the sea, cast a hook, and take the fish that come, takes the first fish that comes up, and when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. So Jesus says, in order not to offend someone, I'll go ahead and pay the tax. I'm free, but I'm going to pay the tax. And this is not a principle that Jesus is saying, and so you go pay your taxes too. I don't believe that at all. 
What I believe Jesus is trying to teach us is that as followers of Jesus, there are times when we have to sacrifice what we want and we give up liberties of ourselves for the greater good of the ultimate glory of God. If you look at some of the principles that we've studied in 1 John recently, it tells us to love our brothers, love those who hate us. Jesus says in Luke chapter number 6, and it's a long portion where Jesus says this, and I'll leave this with you, Trent. You could try to find it because I might be out of order. Luke 6, 27 says, but I say to you who hear, Jesus is speaking, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you, to the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other one also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those, and here's, here's where we're in on. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? Even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But, and here's where we take the offense in order not to offend others for the glory of God. Love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil be merciful even as your father is merciful sinners are kind to sinners so because we live a life that is nice to people who are nice to us or because we can do business with someone who we're going to get the money back that doesn't make us any different than a sinner what sets a child of God apart is we live as Jesus lived he loved people who hated him he prayed for people who crucified him he gave of himself for people who rejected him and that's what Jesus says to us today we live in a way to love people so that God can receive glory. How do we do that? Like, right, we know that. We can make a resolution and say, I want to be nicer, but we already know that. How do we do that? The very last sentence tells us, be merciful. How? Even as your father is merciful. You and I return every day to understand the mercy of God. And as we are reminded of how God was merciful to us, we now have the power and the capability to be merciful to others. As we understand the love that we have received from God, we offer that love to others. But Jesus didn't mean that our faith would never be an offense. We find here in 2 Peter that Jesus is called the stone that the builders rejected. He's become the cornerstone. And this is a name for Jesus, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Our faith, our belief may be an offense to others. The whole, the whole premise of Christianity is an offense to the world because you know what the first thing Christianity says? You're a sinner and your life is not your own. There is a God who created you and who rules this earth. You are not in control. You can't make it on your own. That's an offense to the world, but that's truth. How do we bring people to understand that offense is we're kind to them and we love them as Jesus loved us. But let me, let me finish here with, with what Jesus says to Peter. 
He says, go to the sea and cast a hook, right? When you, when you take the first fish, open its mouth and you'll find a shekel and take that and give it to me and take that and give it to them for me and yourself. I think I could spend a long time, I'm not going to, but I think I could spend a long time on just this crazy miracle. Jesus could have just given Peter money if he wanted to pay the tax, but he doesn't give him money. He sends him out on an expedition. And he doesn't send them to a specific place in the Sea of Galilee. He just says, go to the sea, the big sea. He doesn't give him a net to say, you're going to catch a bunch of fish, check every mouth. He gives him a hook. He doesn't bait the hook, cast the hook in. And the first fish that comes in is going to have a coin. Now, again, we can go, oh, that's crazy. You can't miss. This is about Jesus. He either ordains Peter to go to the spot where a coin, where, where a fish has swallowed a coin that someone previously had dropped into the water that Jesus knew about, and then that fish go swallow that coin to grab onto Peter's hook, or else he, he sent that fish wherever Peter was to go to Peter's hook to grab. Jesus is making all of this take place. And it's not a net, it's a hook to sing. He's got one chance. And it's not just a random coin. It is a coin that is enough for the temple tax for both of them. And all of this goes completely opposite to what an experienced fisherman would say should happen. But Peter follows, he obeys, and as we see, that tax is paid for both of them. And none of what we just read is meant to move our hearts to be a better citizen of the United States of America. None, none of what we just read is, is meant to say, and you pay your taxes. What we just read is supposed to cause us to stand back and be in awe of this man who knew of a conversation that was taking place that he was not in, who understood exactly where Peter needed to go with a fish that had the exact coin in its mouth that he would then take and pay the temple tax all to teach Peter a lesson that, hey, yes, sometimes we as believers, as followers of Christ, we don't want to offend others with our actions. But the most cool thing about this, to me, is that Jesus connected Peter's payment to his own. One coin, one payment for both of them. So how does that point us to Jesus? Well, we owed a debt. Like Peter, we didn't ask Jesus to get involved, but he came. He paid that debt, and our payment is joined to his payment. One payment for the whole world. Your payment for sin is connected to Christ's payment of sin, which is why Jesus says, if you want to follow me, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Because as Paul says in Galatians, I am crucified with Christ. My payment is connected to his.
which just takes you back to that one statement that Jesus said, the sons are free. When Jesus turned his attention and he made that last statement, the sons are free. Which son is he talking about now? He's talking about the son of the one who's in the temple. Everybody's worshiping. But how many sons of God are there? <laughs> There's only one. But Jesus offers this plural word. The sons are free because Jesus has made a way for us to become sons of God, just like him. He changed my identity from being a subject of God to a son of God and from a creation of God to being a child of God. So I can now live free. Free, I'm free. What am I free of? I'm free of the bondage and of the burden of having to live a life to, that would be pleasing to God so that our relationship would be okay. I don't have to earn righteousness with him. His son became sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God through him. And Christianity is not about proving yourselves worthy of God. It's about knowing you are absolutely unworthy. And yet God chose to give his son to make you worthy by taking your sins upon himself and paying the payment for us upon the cross. So why do we love God? How does, how does all of this help us love God? We love him. What does 1 John say? We love him because he first loved us. How do I love Jesus more? I bask in his love for me. I just sit back in the love that Jesus offers me. And as I as I understand his love for me, he becomes the treasure of my heart and I love God. I love him with all my heart and I love him with all my soul, I love him with all my strength and I love him with all my mind. And as I do, every resolution that I want to make to make myself a better person, it naturally happens because I am falling more and more in love with God and that love of God is the ultimate command for every believer. We don't need more resolutions. We need more revelations of Jesus. As you open up the scriptures this year, and don't leave the Bible shut, this is where you find Jesus. This is where the word of God, the word of God is going to tell you how much he loves you. Don't miss it. Search for Jesus in the scriptures. Find a Bible plan that's gonna help you find Jesus in the scriptures. And as you do, sit back in awe of him and you see his love for you. So you love him more and he changes your heart and your actions are changed because your desires are changed because he is transforming our hearts. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for who you are. Oh, Lord, it's, it's really, truly just about Jesus and only Jesus. The fact that you were willing to send your son for what we needed most, the payment of our sins. And Lord, through his death, we are offered freedom of having a loving, open relationship with the God of heaven. Lord, I pray that as, as we as believers enter into 2022, that it's not just self-will that says, I'm going to try harder. But Lord, it is a desire to say, I am going to see God more. 
I'm going to see him in everything around me and I'm going to rejoice and I'm going to talk about and I'm going to speak about and I'm going to listen for and I'm going to ask you to continue to work and reveal yourself in my heart in greater and greater ways because the more I see you and your love for me, the more I will in turn love you. And if you're here today and boy, you got to see those baptisms, somebody who has given their life and faith and trust to Jesus as they've grown to know him. If you're at a place and you say, I just not really sure where I'm at with Christ, not really sure where my relationship is. I don't, I don't really know if I, if I've fully placed my trust in who Jesus is and what he's done for me. In just a moment, we're going to stand and sing and I'll, I'll be standing at the back door. And I love to be able to share with you what Jesus has done for you, who Jesus is and what he has done. And I'd, be, I'd love to have that conversation. If you're already a follower of Jesus, may I encourage you today, make this year a year about getting to know him, allowing his love to be revealed in your life in greater and greater ways so that you will love him in greater and greater ways this year. Father, we thank you for sending Jesus.